So let's start when I was in middle school and high school. My mental health was mostly good growing up. I, I did mostly fine. I was a, a fairly happy kid. When I was growing up, though, I'd have probably about like one day a week where I'd kind of be down. Um, I don't always like to use the word depressed, but I was what you might call depressed like about like one day a week-ish. And we weren't really sure why that was. I remember uh, my mom getting me some some arts and crafts and thinking that maybe I just needed to get some hobbies. And so I, I built this weird like snake thing out of wood and tried a couple different things and nothing really stuck. And it was very confusing. I didn't know, like, I don't know why I was kind of unsatisfied with life. And later on, I kind of figured out that I was just an extrovert living in an introvert kind of life. The rest of my family is all, are all introverts. And, and I was an extrovert, but I had no idea that people like went out and hung out with people all the time. And so once I discovered that, then I was like, wow, this is great. And that kind of one day a week where I'd be down and kind of depressed kind of went away. And so I started being a little bit more extroverted. And, and then that kind of cleaned up maybe that kind of mental health little, little battle I had in middle school and high school. So then fast forward, while I was sick, the beginning of the sickness was very confusing. And so that was very difficult for me to wrestle with. And especially at the beginning part of being sick, um, if you guys were here for the last few weeks or listened online, uh, and if you remember, I, I was very low energy. Um, I didn't have a diagnosis, and I was very low energy, had a, a variety of different symptoms, but the main one was really just, you know, having that brain fog, being really tired, not having much energy to do stuff. And so it was very confusing at the beginning, and there was a big mental battle with, with whether or not I was even sick. I really carried that with me for a couple of years, even into when I couldn't work anymore. So even when it was that severe, I was still like, I don't know, am I really sick? And so that was a big mental battle there. Over the first few months as I started getting worse, the first few months of the sickness until about like May, so from like October 2018 to about May 2019, I was getting worse with my illness and I didn't know what to do with that. And so I was becoming depressed and anxious. I didn't I didn't know how to handle that, and I had plenty of opportunity to be depressed and anxious because I was working in ministry, and so there was plenty of opportunity to have anxiety over different things, and so I remember uh, when I was, uh, I was doing youth ministry at the time, and this is very, very strange. Maybe this has happened to you, but I, I would get a lot of anxiety on Wednesdays because youth group would, would come up, and so I got to make sure everything goes well, and you know, it's my responsibility, and so... I get anxiety on Wednesdays, and then I noticed on one of those Wednesdays, we didn't have youth group, and I still felt the anxiety on that Wednesday when we didn't have youth group, and so I'll talk about it a little bit later, but I actually like trained myself to have the habit of having anxiety, and so it was a Wednesday, and so my body was like, oh yeah, this is the day where we have anxiety, and so I still had anxiety on that day, even though we didn't have a youth group, so I gradually kind of became more depressed, more anxious, and what kind of put me over the edge was... I'd been sick for about six months, and I had a dream. Um, I believe the term for it is a lucid dream. I knew I was dreaming. I was in a dream, and, and I, I was in a place I didn't know where I was, and I was talking to somebody that I didn't know, and this, this guy, he was very large. I remember him being very large, and I was talking to him, and, and I was in this dream. I knew I was dreaming, and so I thought, well, I'm in a dream. What, what question might I ask this guy? And the thing that popped into my head while I was dreaming was, well, I'm going to ask him when I'm going to get better from this sickness. And so I asked him, hey, when am I going to get better from this sickness? And he said, in two weeks. And so I woke up and I was like, hey, that's great. That's fantastic. I'm going to roll with that. I'm going to believe for that. So in May 2019, I was, 
I was like, hey, this would be cool. This would kind of be kind of a neat little, I don't know, kind of uh, ending to a six month sickness, you know, have a little dream and then everything's all good. And so I got to the end of those two weeks. I happened to be in Florida at the uh, at the time that the that two weeks kind of came up and and I kind of realized then that that dream was like kind of worth nothing. It it didn't mean anything. And 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 I didn't get better. And so I was like very depressed and it kind of put me over the edge. And I was looking out into the ocean in Florida and thinking, man, if I'm not happy here, I'm not going to be happy anywhere. And so that dream was very troubling to me. The, the depression, anxiety had really built up. And so I finally decided, okay, I need to do something about this. And so I started researching some different things and I actually did get better mentally. Um, I'm not a doctor or a scientist, but I'll kind of explain kind of the things I did. I kind of would practice kind of being the the person that I wanted to be in my head. I kind of used my imagination to a, a great degree and kind of what I was talking about earlier with the uh, with the building the habit of anxiety. I really built a habit of being anxious and depressed. And our bodies build many habits. We have a lot of habits that we do throughout the day with brushing teeth or maybe cooking food going to the bathroom, whatever it might be, we have a whole bunch of habits. And so one of those could be is you could build a habit of really having anxiety. And that's one of the things that I did. And so I thought, okay, how am I going to break myself out of this? Well, there's been studies that have been done on, on basketball players, piano players, and they, they looked at basketball players and piano players, and they had one group that did uh, play basketball and did free throw shooting. And then uh, maybe you've heard of these stories uh, in these studies. And then another group uh, that did, you know, piano playing, one that actually did the piano playing, and then another that just kind of imagined it. And the group that imagined it, I don't remember the percentages exactly, but the group that imagined it actually did very well. They actually improved. Their piano playing got better. Their free throw shooting got better. One of the things that was interesting that I, that I heard from one neuroscientist is that a lot of times what's happening in our minds, our bodies can't tell the difference between what's happening in our minds and what's happening in reality. And so my mind with my anxiety was constantly going to worst case scenarios. And so maybe there was a youth group or whatever was going on. And I would imagine just the worst possible thing that could happen in that scenario. Maybe you've had an experience like that too. Now, when I would do that, because I trained myself to have anxiety, I was constantly putting my body through the, like sort of the real life event in a way, because it doesn't know the difference between what's going on. And so it was a very, very stressful thing. So I thought, okay, I need to break myself out of this. And so what I did was I, well, I did what I did in week one. Uh, if, if you remember in week one, I mentioned Second uh, uh, Corinthians 10, 5, I believe the verse is, to take every thought captive. And so I thought, okay, I did that with porn and with sexual sin. Now I'm going to try to do that with depression and anxiety. And so I was going to take every thought captive. And then I also was just going to sit myself down and I was actually going to try to train myself and build in the habits to be joyful and, and, and peaceful instead of depressed and anxious. And so I did that for a period of time. And I'll give you one example of the way that I did this. Um, a couple of years later into that, I, I went to the Mayo Clinic. And at the end of it, I went to a sleep doctor. I, I mentioned this in one of the previous sermons. And, and I went to the sleep doctor. Still don't know what the name for the technical name for a sleep doctor is. And it was kind of the culmination of everything. We were really, really hoping I had a sleep problem that was also fixable. And I took the sleep study and we were going to go get the results. And so naturally, because of the anxiety that can rise up, I would imagine the worst case scenario, which the worst case scenario was that, that, I, that they didn't have a diagnosis for me, that I was all good. I didn't have a sleep problem. 
And so that was like worst case scenario. I would have even, even a situation where I was diagnosed with something that was incurable would have been better than being diagnosed with nothing. And so I imagined that worst case scenario. And then, and then my naturally I would, I would go into like fits of rage and like being, being all depressed. And these are natural things my mind would do. And so instead I would sit myself down and I would imagine getting that bad news, but instead bouncing back and being joyful and, and, and being happy still. And so once I got that bad news, I was down for about, I think 30 minutes. And then I bounced back because I kind of trained myself and got myself ready for the situation to be able to handle it. So those were some of the things I did during that period of time to try to get myself to be, to be better. I'm actually sort of doing it now because I'm, because of being sick. This is super weird, but I'm actually, as I mentioned before, I was an extrovert. I'm an introvert again. And I don't exactly know how that happened, but I, I looked it up and I don't know a whole lot about this, but apparently if you go through some kind of traumatic event, it can change your personality. And so I'm trying to change back, but I'm not exactly sure how to do that. And one of the ways I'm trying to do that is like kind of imagining myself as an extrovert again. Um, it's not, it, it's working, I think a little bit, but we'll, I'll let you know some, some other time how that goes, but I don't even know why I mentioned that. Anyway, we'll keep going. I was doing very well uh, going into about like a year into the sickness. Then I was practicing a lot. Of, I was taking care of my health very well. I was eating very cleanly. I was controlling my sleep habits and doing a lot of different stuff. And so my energy was kind of increasing and, and I was doing very well. Uh, I felt like I had a, a good purpose working in ministry. And so um, about a year in, in that September, October, 2019 range, I was doing very well mentally. But then if you remember, uh, uh in, in the previous sermons that I mentioned, I, I crashed in, in November and my energy got very, very low. And when that happened, it was, became increasingly difficult to, to stay happy, to stay peaceful, to not worry about my situation too much. And then when I crashed again in January of 2020, then it became really, really difficult to kind of stay, stay, stay in that joyful place. And, and then after I went to the Mayo and, and never got a diagnosis, that was really, really difficult because I, I often describe it as I was floating in space with nothing to grab onto. I had no diagnosis. I just went to the best hospital in the world and they couldn't diagnose me. There was no clear direction to go. I didn't know what to do. It was very, very difficult to handle. Over those four years of being sick, I, I was always offered antidepressants. Uh, every doctor just really wanted me to take them. I don't know exactly why that is, but Maybe they could tell that I needed them. Sometimes it was just like kind of thrown at the end. Hey, if you want this, but I, I was always offered them. I never took them. Um, sometimes I had reasons for it. Other times I think it was just kind of a pride reason that I didn't want to take it just because I didn't, I don't know. There was just something in there that I, I, I wanted to think that I could handle it without it. Many times I would go up for prayer for healing. I mentioned this a little bit. And after almost all of them, I would go home depressed because I was hoping for healing and I would really, really get my hopes up. And then when I didn't get healed, it was crushing. I didn't know how to handle that. I didn't get what I was looking for and it would kind of spiral me down. But I remember one time in particular that I didn't get sad afterwards. It was a Holy Spirit night a couple of years ago and, and uh, we were praying for healing and it was at the end of the Holy Spirit night. If you've been to one of those, it's very good. And, and we've got three of them coming up soon. And I, I was at this Holy Spirit night and I was getting prayer. And at the end of the prayer, you know, I could tell like, okay, I'm, I'm not, I'm not getting healed, but I could tell like, okay, I felt this thing rise up. Like I felt like God was telling me that I needed to shout, which I don't know about you, but I was praying 
folded hands, eyes closed after the Holy Spirit. I had no idea how many people were in there and shouting in a room that's supposed to be very, very quiet and prayerful is not the whole, you know, like that made me a little bit uncomfortable. It makes you question a little bit whether you're hearing that right or not. And so after some struggling, I told the person I was praying with like, hey, I think I'm supposed to, I think I'm supposed to shout. And I'm like, oh, I guess, yeah, maybe go for it. And so I shouted and I looked around and then there were only other uh, three other people in the room. So it was all fine. We've been praying for a while, I guess. And I realized after that, though, looking back on it, that that was one of the few times, maybe the only time that I got prayer for healing and I didn't go home depressed. And so I don't know why God had me shout in that situation, or maybe it wasn't God. I don't really even know. But, but I, I went home and I actually felt good that night. I remember none of the time. So that was a lot of times prayer was very difficult, very difficult for my mind to handle, especially if I prayed for healing and something didn't happen. It was very, very difficult for me to, ha- uh, for me to handle. Another time, a lot of times preaching was very difficult for me to handle. I remember one time, so this would have been when I wasn't able to work. Um, I was here at Good Hope Church and we had a guest speaker and it wasn't their fault. It's not like they said something terrible or anything. The sermon was actually quite good, but I was sent kind of into a depression that I couldn't quite get out of after that because the person that spoke was doing a ministry that I definitely could see myself doing. And so seeing kind of the, the it was almost like the physical manifestation of, of, of what a healed life would look like was on the stage. And so seeing like the, the alternate route, like I was in this terrible, horrible scenario and they're in the life that I wish I was in, I wish that would have happened. And so it was very, very difficult for me to handle a sermon that it wasn't even on sickness or anything bad. It was actually a good sermon, but even just seeing that was very, very difficult for me to handle. And so sometimes I had very uh, difficult time with prayer, especially for healing. Sometimes I had a difficult time with preaching. I mentioned, uh, uh, when I preached on the weekend, um, last time I preached on the weekend here, uh, the February 4th and 5th sermon, uh, was it that? No, 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 no. It was back in Thanksgiving. It was one of them. I think, uh, when I preached on, uh, at Thanksgiving talking about how sometimes in worship services, it was extremely hard to worship, especially considering some of the words we might sing when, when you're talking about turning graves into gardens and seeing a victory in these different songs was like, man, I don't know if I can sing that because I don't know if I believe it. I had a very difficult time with, with prayer sometimes, with worship sometimes, with preaching sometimes. One thing helped. I did a, I did a Daniel fast. I did a 21-day Daniel fast, one of the times when I was not working, and, and that improved my mental health. The, uh, mental health. That helped me for for a few months, it, I'd say it lasted just from doing that alone, lasted probably about three months. My, my mental health was doing very good. Um, and then it kind of slowly started to slowly started to slip after that. But uh, I always thought it was interesting looking back on it. My mental health was doing very well. Sometimes I can tell in my journal when, when uh, my mental health is doing better because I would, I would write more songs when I was happier while I was sick. And then while I wasn't sick, I would, I would not do that. And so I wrote a lot of songs during that Daniel fast and, and, um, it was a very good time. And then those three months afterwards was very good. And, um, unfortunately though, after that, it slowly started to slip and I started to become more insecure as well. I had a lot of things come on, uh, while I was sick, I, I had, uh, increased acne, like I talked about hair loss. I was gaining weight. I gained like 30 pounds or so at one point. Um, I was very weak because of my low energy. I wasn't able to work out. And, and if you've known me for, for a while, I, you know, that I, I very much like working out and, 
I was a wrestler. And so that kind of, I don't know, kind of got that in me. And so not being able to work out, it, it really bothered me. It made me very insecure because I didn't know, I don't know, I just, I, I didn't look the same. I couldn't, I couldn't perform athletic sports as well as I could have or, or, or as often as I could because I didn't have the energy for it. And so those were some things that I didn't realize at the time, but that I'd put my security in. I put my security in my physical appearance, and I, I had no idea that I did until the things that I put my security in were taken away. And so that was very difficult to handle. And some of these things were starting to build up. I was still going to church, but the worship was bothering me. The prayer was bothering me. The, the preaching was bothering me. Not every time, but then the insecurity was building up. I had a period of time where every night I would go to bed crying, wishing God would heal me. And then at some point, the tears dried up. At some point, I had no tears left to cry. I was an emotional kid, and I had no emotional outlet for the intense situation I was going through. And I actually, on purpose, completely shut off hope, that emotion or whatever you want to call that. I, I shut it off on purpose because I'd gone through enough hospital visits wishing that you know, I'd have a thyroid problem, wishing I'd have a sleep problem, wishing that heavy metals was a problem, wishing that Lyme was the problem, whatever it was. And then going up for prayer and constantly hoping for God to heal me and then going up for prayer again and again and again. And I decided, you know what, I'm done with that. Hope is supposed to be this good thing, but it, it just hurts. It's only bad. So I shut that off. And so because I shut that off and because almost because I stopped crying, these, these emotions just started building up. I became very closed off. As a kid, I was more closed off, more of a closed book. And then after kind of God called me into ministry, I became an open book for a period of time. And then, and then once this sickness kind of hit me, I became very closed off again. I, I didn't talk about my feelings as much. I'm still a little closed off in a sense, and I haven't been as open as I used to be. So this series is sort of my attempt at being open again. And last week sort of stretched me in that area, and this week is going to even more so. All right, let's go into the main part of this sermon. I've been thinking about sharing this for quite some time, and um, I guess there's nothing to do but just go drive straight into it. So the pain that was building up was very difficult to handle. I didn't know what to do with it. No diagnosis drove me nuts. Any way that I pursued healing or getting better were ultimately just got my hopes dashed. I was very depressed, very anxious. I remember it was a Saturday. I went to Saturday night church. I don't remember exactly what happened, but I just had some bad interactions with some people. And church, again, was a reminder of everything that was not happening in my life. I had many months of bottled up emotions. So afterwards, I, I went alone for a drive. I drove for a little bit, and then I parked somewhere. And then I finally kind of let the emotions out. I started crying, and I started crying extremely, extremely, in an extreme kind of way. I, I, my body felt like it was sort of seizing up as I, as I cried. I didn't have any Kleenexes. I was wiping snot with some receipts that were in my cup holder. It was a disgusting situation. And I was very, very low, very depressed, felt very dark. I didn't see a, a way of escape. I didn't know what to do. It was about February of 2021. I was sitting in my car, and so I sent a couple text messages out to a couple people. And I told them I was doing poorly, but what I didn't tell them was that I had a plan to kill myself, and I had a plan to do it at that time. And I don't remember what they even said. They knew I was doing poorly, but I wasn't going to tell them what I was going to do because I didn't want, I wanted to have that option. I didn't want to have the cops called on me or something. I didn't want them to, to stop me. But I kind of sent out those couple text messages, I guess, as that sort of silent cry for help. And I don't remember what they said, but whatever it was, 
it helped enough for me not to do it that particular day. And so I went home. I felt dark the next day. Over the course of a few days, I gradually felt a little less dark. I was, I was still suicidal, but at least I got through that moment. The anxiety and depression would, would still kind of gradually get worse or stay about the same. This last summer in 2022, I was wrestling with my faith in God. I was really trying hard not to be suicidal, but, but at times I really didn't see a way out. I was questioning the existence of God. My faith was shaken. And the reason I was questioning my faith in God was not because I was going through something difficult. I, I understand that bad things can happen. And that was a piece of it. But the, the piece of it that bothered me was that I had probably gotten like a hundred words from people that I would get better, saying that from God, they knew I was going to get better. And, and so it had been four years of not getting better. And so my line of reasoning was, Okay, so we've got like, a, I don't know how many words it was, but it really was a lot. If there's a hundred people that say, okay, God is telling you you're going to get healed. And then in the scenario that I don't get healed, I'm like, are all those people out of their minds? All those people on the, on the same page out of their minds? Like if none of those people are actually hearing from God, if I don't know a single person that can hear from God, is he really even real then? And so that was a really a large struggle with me. I, I didn't know what to do with that. So my faith was shaken. I, I, wasn't, I wasn't sure if God was real. I was a certified pastor at the time. So you had this suicidal, almost atheist pastor. Not quite the example we're looking to set. My, uh, my wife, Michaela, was my girlfriend at the time. We had many conversations and, and I asked her, so if I don't get healed and I become an atheist, would you still marry me? I'd also talk to her about potentially having kids, which is something we normally both wanted. And, and I told her, you know, if I don't get healed, then whatever I have is probably genetic and potentially something that I could pass down to another person. And I don't think I could pass that down to somebody. And besides that, I had nowhere near enough energy to be a father anyway. And so I asked her, would you marry me if I was an atheist, wouldn't have any kids, couldn't work, couldn't travel? This sort of life that we've always pictured, it would look much different. And I asked her those questions, and she thought about it some. And if you've listened to the other three weeks, then you know the rest of the story. God started to heal me. Unfortunately, I didn't have to deal with those what-ifs and what life would look like if I didn't get healed. And Michaela and I got married, and things went very well. So let's talk about what you can do if you're going through something difficult. Because I don't want to just give this sermon and, and maybe you've had situations in your life like this or you know somebody who's had situations in their life like this. I, I don't want to give that and, and just have it be like a, a nice empathetic moment. I, I want to give you something, maybe some of the things I learned. One of the things I did was I, I really tried to make lemons out of lemonade. Uh, one instance was I was looking at my life, life situation and, okay, I didn't have much energy, but I wasn't working and and because of my lack of energy, well, one of the things I have a lot of is time. And so I was thinking about that. I still had some money at that point. And so I was looking at what I possibly could do and thinking about, okay, what can I, what can I do about my life situation to make this not so bad and try to turn this into a good thing? And so one of the things I thought of was going on a road trip. And so what I did was I, uh, I had a few places marked on a map, but I didn't know where I was going to go exactly. And I went alone. And it was extremely refreshing because, you know, I, I could drive for two hours and then park somewhere and sleep and just rest for the day. And I went on a 38-day road trip. It cost over a little bit over $1,000 and never paid, for, um, never paid for lodging. 
I lost like 30 pounds on the trip. And it was really like kind of the ultimate turning, turning lemons into lemonade moment because I, I looked at the at my life situation and, and a lot of the things were bad, but then looked at it and, and found something that was that was really helpful. And so that rest, because I was like never, ever talking to, to humans and I was never ex- expending more energy than I had to. I never had to say no to anything because I was completely in control of where I went. If I had an hour in me that day, then I could be done. If I had nothing in me that day, it's all good. And so maybe you have something like this. I don't think there's always something like this. But maybe there's something like this in your life or you can think about in, in maybe somebody else's life where, okay, you have something bad happen, but maybe there's something good you can still get out of it. Next thing, number two, I was listening to a sermon by Scotty Gibbons and he said, and I don't have a better way to say this, so I'm just going to use what he said. He said, find purpose in the pain. Now, for me, that was a little bit difficult because my pain caused my lack of purpose. Because I had that sickness, I, I couldn't do ministry and that was my main form of purpose. And so I kind of had to reorient myself. So one of the things that, that happened was uh, I, I had insomnia, like I've mentioned. And so I was up very late in the night. And there was more than one occasion, many times, where I had had a friend or somebody that I knew that would cry out for help, really needed somebody to be there, had something going on at like four or five in the morning. And then I was up and also didn't have a job, so didn't have anywhere to be in the morning. And so I was able to go be with those people. And so one of the things that I did was comfort myself while I was sick because I thought, okay, well, if I was healthy, I wouldn't have been able to, to help that person then. And so I kind of reoriented my purpose. Maybe, maybe you can find somehow some finding purpose in the pain, making lemons out of lemonade. The third thing, I talked about this during week two and when I preached a month ago on the weekend here, I prayed in tongues and then that changed my attitude. My faith increased, my joy increased. And so if you're struggling, I would at least try it. I don't think any of these are guarantees. I don't think there's a, a fix all that if somebody just does this thing, all of a sudden they're just never going to have a depressed moment in their rest of the, the rest of their life. But I mean, if you've not tried it, like go for it. And if you don't know, you, you've never spoken in tongues, spoken in tongues before, we'll pray for you. Fourth thing, as I mentioned earlier, the Daniel fast changed my mental health. And this is really bizarre because I don't know how many counselors are like, okay, they, they sit down with somebody that's depressed and they're like, you know what? You need to do some prayer and fasting. I think that's what you need to do. Get a little more joy in your life. But when I did that 21-day Daniel fast, it really, really helped and for a long time. And so if, if, you, if you need kind of a pick-me-up, like I would I try some kind of fasting. You can just fast for the morning. You don't have to fast for like 40 days like Jesus did or do something crazy. But just fast for the morning. Do a, do a three-hour fast, a four-hour fast. Or do a, a Daniel fast, which is eating just fruits and vegetables. You can try one of those things. Then I'll just throw this in there because probably good to say uh, the question, what can you do if you know someone that is going through something difficult? I always thought when I got out of this sickness, I would have an answer to that question. And I really don't because there's really only so much that you can do. Maybe you can listen. Maybe you can do something like that. But I think the main thing is to not feel guilty over somebody else's pain. So you can take that for what it is. Let's end on a little bit of happier note. I went back. I went back to that place where I was going to, where I was going to commit suicide I went back there the night before my wedding and I went back there and I, I looked at that place and I started to cry in, in largely the same way. It felt like my body was seizing up. It wasn't quite so bad, but, but I felt that kind of, again, that just, I don't know, just those same emotions. And I looked at that place and, and then the night before my wedding, I just kind of waved it goodbye. It's the second hardest time I've cried in my life. And I told the devil that he's not getting that chance again. And I think it's time for all of us and it's time for you to tell the devil no. 
tell the devil, you're not welcome in my thoughts. You're not welcome in my emotions. You're not welcome in my body. You're not welcome in my home. You're not welcome in my city. The devil is prowling around seeking whom he may devour, but he will not come near you. Let's fight back. A couple weeks ago, I mentioned a dream that I had, and you can go back and listen to that if you need. The summary is that if we pray in tongues, the devil leaves, he flees. I believe that is a promise from God for our church. So when our thoughts run wild, let's fight back. Let's do what I mentioned in week one. Let's take every thought captive like it says in 2 Corinthians 10.5. When the devil attacks you with pride, let's remember a situation that humbles ourselves before God like I mentioned in week three. It's time to fight against the devil. I've been standing my ground and now it's time to take ground. Will you let the devil get the best of you or will you put on the full armor of God? 2 Peter 1.3 says that his divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness. Let's access that divine power. And as we do that, we know that the devil will flee because in James 4.7, it says, submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. The first step is submission to God. And once we do that, we resist and the devil must flee. So it's time to fight back. It's time to fight for your healing. Let's not just lay down and lay over and let the devil give us depression, let him give us anxiety, but let's fight back. Let's fight back with prayer and fasting. Let's fight back with tongues. Let's fight back with worship. Let's do something about this. Nehemiah 8.10 says the joy of the Lord is our strength. Is that true of the church today? Or are we being conquered? We're in an epidemic of depression and anxiety. How many Christians are living out the joy of the Lord being their strength? How often do we actually go to God for this? Go to God for joy. Go to God for peace. How many of us have been prayer and fasting for this? This is huge. Joy isn't just some bonus. It's a fruit of the spirit. It's not just some added thing at the end that maybe we hope we can possibly get. It's part of the fruit of the spirit. Love, joy, hope, peace is in there too. This is something we can fight for. Let's not let the devil take this ground. Just like last week, we're going to sort of practice some of these things. We're going to end with a song, Romans 12, 12. I'm going to read Romans 12, 12. And it says, be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, and faithful in prayer. I looked up this verse in the Greek because a lot of versions say to rejoice in hope. To me, the Greek seems to indicate that rejoice is the better word than joyful. I'm no Bible scholar, so you can look up that difference for yourself. But think about that. Rejoice in hope. Be joyful in hope. I had hope in Christ to be healed, but I didn't just worship God because I had a little hope. I wanted to rejoice once I got the miracle and I didn't need hope anymore. This verse tells us to rejoice in hope. Could you worship God because of just having a little hope? This verse is challenging to me. And so what I want to do right now is we're going to end with some rejoicing. We're going to end with a song. And as we do that, I'll invite you to stand. As we do that, I want you to picture a time in your life Maybe a time in your life when you had a victory. And let's think about that as we worship God. And maybe you're in a tough time in life, in a trial. Let's rejoice in just the hope that we have God. Just the hope that he can give us the victory. And rejoice in the hope of heaven. Rejoice in the hope that no sickness is going to last into heaven. That no tears will be shed in heaven. We'll live perfect lives. And so maybe, maybe your life is going well. I want you to picture a victory you've had before. And then if you have something right now that you're going through, let's rejoice in just the hope that God has for us. Let's sing this song. I 
memories of hallelujah in the presence of my enemies I raise a hallelujah louder than the unbelief come on I raise a hallelujah. This is so good. My weapon is a melody. Think about that. I raise a hallelujah. Heaven comes to fight for me. I'm going to sing in the middle of the song. I'm going to sing. Louder and louder, you're gonna hear my praises roar. Up from the ashes, hope will arise. Death is defeated, the king is Sing a little louder, my friend. 